Listen to the podcast, Life and Advice from Inside CDS. It's your source of business and accounting news, leadership advice, and actionable takeaways that you can implement in your own life and business. Now, here's our guest's partner, Dave Corneal, and the Director of Business Advisory Services at CDS, Bill Fenske. They're going to share some insights on mergers and acquisitions. Thank you for joining today's podcast. This is Bill Fenske, your host. CDS recently developed a white paper on mergers and acquisitions authored by Dave and Bill. Today, let's get going and let's start with the content of this white paper. Dave, thanks for joining us today and for taking time out of your busy schedule. Yeah, thank you for hosting. So mergers and acquisitions, we, we hear that term or the, the two words often. What What is a merger and what is an acquisition? Well, I, I guess there's a lot of you know, a lot of similarities to both of them, but, you know, I would, I would look at a merger as a lot of times being uh, firms or companies of, of similar size, a lot of times. Mm -hmm. Um, In most cases, you know, obviously the goal of of some sort of a combination is you're going to try to increase your market share, um, profits, that kind of thing. And a merger is more of similar size type entities, whereas an Acquisition is more when you're you're purchasing more than fifty percent of the stock of a different company. So you're going to gain the ability to be the decision maker in the new company as the acquiring in- entity. Um, you're also you also might want to be moving into different geographic areas as well, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, you know as well as increasing your market share and therefore, I mean, obviously the the goal is increased profits in both cases. So in a merger, is there an acquisition price or is it really these two similar companies kind of coming together and now it's kind of jointly run, jointly controlled? Or is there still a, is, is there is there money exchange? I should just get to the point. Is there money exchange with a merger? A lot of times there would be. Okay. I mean, a lot of times I would say you're going to not have exactly the same uh, makeup of the companies and maybe one has a little bit more diversity to their, their company. I'm, I mean, looking at our, our firm as an accounting firm, you know, we've looked at ones where we're going to possibly want to merge with somebody. Yep. And we've looked at, okay, what is our mix of services that we offer versus theirs? And it turns out sometimes that one is just a little bit more diverse, maybe a little bit more resistant to downturns in sure. the economy or those kinds of things. And and so you might end up, you know, paying a premium it, or the, the buyers might actually have to take a little bit less ownership percentage okay. or they might have to kick in a little money okay. if they want to, for instance, come in as, yeah. if it's an accounting firm, is to come in as equal owners, they might have to kick in a little cash. Okay. Okay. So that, you know, another term that we hear out there is called integration. Um, is that, is that an, uh, a, a third or is that really kind of a, a, a more of a generic term for M&A? It's more of a generic term, and it can okay. kind of include both mergers and acquisitions. A lot of times, it's it's both. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so you kind of mentioned a little bit about um, uh, size and geographic area, and that kind of gets into you know there are horizontal integrations. We'll we'll use integrations kind of generically here. Mm-hmm. There's vertical integrations, and then there's diverse integrations. What do we really mean by those terms? Well, a horizontal integration, I, I mean, that's, in my mind, is a little bit similar to the merger. 
Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Because a lot of times those are similar types of sized organizations. Maybe they offer similar services or in in similar geographic areas. Um, but a lot of times maybe there's a couple, like I'll, I'll use our firm as an example again, maybe a different firm that we would look at would not have payroll services or they mm-hmm. wouldn't have benefits administration services or they wouldn't do government auditing. So it might be a case where if somebody bigger than us wanted to look at CDS, for instance, they might want to get into some of those areas. So they might they might look at that as expanding their range of services that they offer too. Sure. Whereas a vertical integration, a lot of times that might involve, let's say, a, a contractor. It might involve them yeah. purchasing a, a lumber a supplier or something okay. like that. Um, so that maybe there's some synergies or some mm-hmm. economies of scale that they can get by encompassing more of that supply chain, you know, from customer down all the way to the, you know, the, yep. the manufacturer essentially. Um, and that would compare to uh, a construction firm merging with a, uh, another construction firm, which would be more horizontal. That would be more horizontal. Yes, yeah. exactly. Okay. So then what's a, di- what's a diverse integration? Diverse integration might be, um, let's say, a, a firm like CDS. Maybe we want to go invest in some real estate. Real estate, okay. You know, so we we don't want to be so dependent on the accounting aspect or yep. taxes or auditing or whatever. But we see that there's some other things that we might want to do that are also possible ways to make some extra money. Okay. But you're also protecting yourself from not putting all your eggs in one basket, so to speak. So then let's go back to maybe that construction company. Yep. Um, maybe they buy a strip mall. They get into, they get into their own real estate. Uh, so it's not just contracting of now they're, now they're a landlord or uh, own something. And, but that would, would that be a diverse? It, it would be. Yeah. Okay. It would be because, you know, that's, they're looking at something that would, you know, will potentially pay them some, you know, some residual income, some passive income as they, you know, as they maybe transition into retirement or something too. Might that be uh, something where, you know, maybe let, let's just assume that sometimes, you know, the construction business is a little bit cyclical, um, where they want to kind of diversify to have more of a level stream of income. Yeah, that, yeah. Would, that would definitely be another okay. reason okay, to good. do that. Yeah, for sure. There's a, there's a concept out there called reverse due diligence. What, what does that mean? Okay. A lot of times that is a, a third party. Maybe, a, maybe you've got a consulting firm that'll say, hey, we'll go in and look at an accounting firm or we'll go in and look at a construction company. We'll go in and look at a retailer. And I liken it to, or liken it to trying to get your own house in order before you, you know, put yourself out there as a, as a potential acquisition target. Or if you're looking to sell because you're getting up in age uh, and you want to retire in a couple of years, this is kind of getting your house in order, um, cleaning okay. up loose ends on your end. And you could probably do a lot of that yourself as a, as a firm or a company. And, um, but maybe, maybe an outside look at it isn't the worst idea either to give you some other ideas of, hey, this new company or somebody that wants to look at buying you, they might not want this to be left open-ended. You know, maybe there's some family right transitions or whatever yep. that are going on and you want okay let's get that let's get that in play before 
you look yeah. at. And, and I would imagine, and this is a, maybe a little speculative on my part of, uh, you know, when you, when you develop a business and you develop pieces of it, it's kind of personal. And if you have a third party come in, it, it helps to, well, they, they kind of are the heavy uh, of saying, why don't you clean this up and let's move on. And you kind of have somebody who's doesn't really have any so-called skin in the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're, they're usually a little bit, uh, you know, you don't always see some of those things if you're the one that's right. living in that business on a day-to-day uh, basis. And Okay. Uh, great. So now let, let's get into the actual process. There's, there's four phases for uh, a successful merger acquisition. Uh, there's a pre-acquisition planning phase. There's a due diligence phase. There's a deal negotiation phase, and then there's a post-acquisition integration phase. So the first one, pre-acquisition planning. Tell us about that. What kind of goes into that phase one? Some of the first things that you want to look at is, you know, what is the purpose or what's the end goal of this integration? Why are the why are we doing this? If you want to look at it that way, um, is the goal to eliminate some competition? Is the goal to just increase in your size and, and scale and market share or is it a diversification or a different uh, area of the state or region that you want to uh, get into because you think there's some opportunities there so you you want to look at what are what's the purpose and why are why are we wanting to do this so the due diligence you hear that term a lot of well we, we you know we got to do our due diligence what all goes into what is what are the aspects of due diligence I mean, I'll kind, I'll kind of go back to a little bit of what I've experienced in the last few years on this. And, you know, there's a lot of financial work that needs to be done in the due diligence stage. And, and you want to look at what, what, is, what is our financials as our acquiring or merging organization? What is the financials of the other organization? What do they look like? And then you want to try to combine them to see, you know, are there redundancies here with people? Mm-hmm. Are there redundancies with different costs? Is there, where will we be if we merge with another firm? Where are we going to, where, where's our new firm going to be? Or where's our new company going to be located? Is it one or the other, or do we need a new facility? So, and you know, other parts of that due diligence bill would be, you know, do we have the financial aspect of it taken care of? But you're also trying to, you're trying to assess a lot of times what, you know, cause you're, you're, a lot of times are involving leaders of both organizations, right? And you want to look at, okay, do these people seem like we do? Or do, mm-hmm. do we have some similar uh, personality traits? Do we have, you know, we're trying to, and it's always a difficult, but you, you want to try to ad- assess their culture. Um, and so your only way that you're getting to look at that culture is by looking at and dealing with the leaders of that right. organization right. a lot of times. Yep. So that's kind of a, that's kind of a hard one to assess, but you're always trying to do that, um, you know, because eventually you're going to have to look at the other people's organization. If you've got, if it's a horizontal integration or, or acquisition, then you're going to look at, okay, a lot of times they're going to have similar people doing similar jobs at both organizations. And so you're going to have to look at what's this person that's at the same level as this person in our mm-hmm. organization are they making similar wages? Right. And do we ha- right. and benefits? Do we have to adjust those kind of things? And you know, you're you're just you know, how productive are they? You know, are they busy the whole year? This is coming back to 
some of the stuff that we've evaluated in acquisitions or mergers that we've done as CDS is you, yeah, you know, is this person not busy half of the time or are they yeah. busy 90% of the time? And why is somebody at the other firm busy the opposite amount of ours? <laughs> you know, so you're trying to assess those things as you. Well, and what I've experienced uh, over my career is typically when you have different wage schedules and benefit schedules, you tend to gravitate to the higher. Yes. Well, you need to make sure that that's put into your due diligence and your modeling uh, because you may end up with a, you know, a five- or six-digit additional expense that you weren't thinking of because you have to bring everybody to more of an equal footing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, you're usually not going backwards on, no, the, on the wages right, right. and the benefits aspect of things. You are usually moving it up to the one right. of the higher. And you're, you're trying to, you know, like, a, like I said, with those... Um, projected financials that are combinations of the two companies, you're trying to look for ways where you can make that equation not be one plus one equals two, but you want it to be one plus one equals two and a half or three because one firm has this person, but the other one doesn't. So we don't need to hire that person again because they can handle it. And now we've just brought in all this extra people power um, without Mm -hmm. having to hire a second administrative position to oversee everything or something like that. So in the due diligence and specifically talking about the financial modeling, you know, we're, we're going to put in a, a, a range of what the cost is. So let's, let's call it an acquisition here, which is part of the negotiation. And I think that's an important part of, are we within, is the buyer and seller within a reasonable range of numbers for an acquisition to even make the, the effort worthwhile. Uh, but what goes into that negotiation process and that phase? Well, I mean, you, you're, you're trying to, like you said, look for what is, that, what is that acceptable price that one company would be willing to pay and, you know, what's the price that the other company is willing to accept as the seller. And you know, if those aren't even close, you might as well, you might as well end the negotiations yeah, right. or the or the due diligence because it's not going to work at that point. Um, you know, you have to figure out what that number is, and and that's, you know, that's to a great degree is accomplished by putting those financials together and just looking at what is there, you know, what's dropping to their bottom line, what's dropping to your bottom line. If you have a similar organization, why is theirs? 20% profit at the bottom and one is 5%. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that 20% probably is going to be in a good negotiating position in this, in this equation because they're going to have, they're going to have a high expectation of, of a sale price. Well, I think a key point uh, that I've experienced with the negotiating is how does a, how does that upper end number fit into your model? You know, and, and if you have a, Let's just say you're going to buy a company um, and you think it's worth a million and the seller's at 1.5 million. You know, if you had to get to that 1.5, does that work in your model? Well, if it doesn't work in your model, is there really much reason to keep going? But if it does work in your model, then it's like, okay, well, how do we make that number work? Mm-hmm. You know, and, uh, you know, some people I think get hung up on, oh boy, 1.5 million, that's just way too much. Well, you don't know what synergies you're going to get. All these things you talked about, yep. you, you might be able to pull out 
a few hundred thousand dollars of either additional revenue or uh, less expenses that, oh, now our model works. Mm -hmm. But you got to do the model. Yep. And you, yeah, you want to do those forecasts because you want to, if you're going to pay that $1.5 million price, you have to work into your financial projections and your financial models. Can we make that payment? Whether that's over a 10 year period or what it is. Um, and you're going to, if if you're buying, I mean, we're getting into probably more than what we were intending to here, but if you're buying assets of the business, do we take some additional tax deductions related to the allocation of that? And therefore, we can bring down the profit, less cash has, has to go out the door for tax payments. Yeah. And then can you justify a little higher price too? So there's you got to work those numbers. I mean, that's the key thing is is you need to you need to really do the analysis there because if it's it's bad if you haven't done that analysis on the front end, mm-hmm. you actually okay, let's just pay this 1.5 million and then you have to start making the payments and then you realize it doesn't yeah, work. That's, that's not a good answer. A little late. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. Well, yep. So, okay, so now we got the deal agreed to. We got the deal signed. Now the heavy lifting actually starts, isn't it, with the post, the, the integration of the companies? Yes, for sure, Be, because you've got to, you know, CDS is an example, again. Um, CDS has merged with firms, and they're in another community. So you've got some challenges sometimes if you've got different locations. Yeah. Let's, get the, let's get everybody to be of one mindset, um, one team, one firm, one company, and that's a little hard when you, when they weren't part of your organization before, and now they are, but there's not really any change in it's what seems like the day-to-day operations. They're still operating in their facility. They're still operating in their community. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe, maybe there's going to be, um, you know, one way to kind of help ease that might be to have sort of a leadership team or a, you know, you almost call, you call it like a steering committee earlier in our conversations today where, You've got representatives of each of the organizations where they're kind of pulling in the same direction, and therefore maybe they can get, maybe they can get some uh, some buy-in on on both sides to where right. they're, you know, right. okay, this seems like a good deal because a lot of times you have turnover at that point because they, you know, you have people feeling devalued. You have a lot of the leadership. I mean, stats will show you a lot of leadership goes out the door in mm-hmm. these kinds of things. Yeah. Um, upper leadership that is and 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 in higher higher turnover percentages than are normal for an organization like that. You know, there's a there's a, a, a famous saying of course of uh, when you're dealing with business of it's not personal, it's just business. Well, to the business that's being acquired it is personal. Oh, it's 100%. It's their livelihood. I yep. mean, it's, it's their life and it's, you know, their baby, whatever it may be. So I think the acquiring, uh, the, the one doing the buying really needs to be sensitive to, it is personal to the seller. Yeah, and it, 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 it absolutely really isn't personal to the acquiring right. company. And, right. and But yeah, you're right. You need to be very sensitive to that. If you want the deal to get done, you have to be sensitive to mm-hmm. that fact that that's very different from the other side of the table. One part of uh, this, this whole integration process is to keep asking yourself, why are we doing this? And it, it, it's just amazing, you know, and especially you, you have frequent meetings uh, and you kind of go back to your team, you know, have your team keep going through that question of, so why are we doing this? Um, and, it, you, you know, and I think that's just a good exercise that if, you're, if you start to become unsure of that, 
well, then you maybe need to put on the brakes. But if it's clear, you're probably going down the right path. Yeah. Why are we doing this? And those finance, financial models need to be constantly evaluated that you did a couple of steps ago in this thing. They need to be, they, they need to be at least reviewed to see if they're still accurate once you get further into the due diligence process and the negotiation phase because they might be constantly changing. Right, um, right. Well, that concludes our podcast for today. But before we leave, uh, Dave, do you have any final thoughts that you want to share uh, with our listeners about uh, mergers and acquisitions? There's a lot of stuff. I mean, there's a lot of activity in this realm right now. And a lot of, you know, baby boomers starting to to retire and Mm -hmm. wanting to sell their businesses. And they don't maybe have a succession plan. So that's something that we've, you know, our team has done, uh, is available to do for people is to create a succession plan. Um, we also have a team that does uh, business valuations. Mm-hmm. And so if you if you want to know what your business is worth, we can do that for yeah. you. Um, and then the other thing is at the end of the deal, you know, if it's not, I mean, I, I brought up a lot of examples where it was personal to CDS, and I br- brought in us as the example of one of the two sides here, but it could be two of our a client and a, you know, another firm, and we might be looking at, okay, how is it best and most efficient to structure this transaction, whether it's they want to buy a stock, do they want to buy assets, what's the allocation of the the sale price and all that stuff, and we can help with that too. Okay, very good. Thank you for listening to our podcast, and have a great rest of the day. Thanks for listening to this podcast episode of Life and Advice from Inside CDS. We hope you gain some valuable insights and information to help you succeed. The podcast is brought to you by the CPAs and trusted advisors inside the accounting firm of CDS.